2: Hey, listeners, Kevin and I need your help. Yes, we need your help. Please, please, please. We need your stars. We need your reviews, you guys, on iTunes so we can start to climb those iTunes rating charts.
1: It's simple. Open iTunes, click on the iTunes store, search for Behind the Curtain Broadway's Living Legends.
2: Then click on Ratings and Reviews under the Customer Reviews. Click write a review, then let us know what you think from one to five stars.
1: If you need some help, think of one star being Carol Channing and Paul Lynn in the road company of the last five years, and five stars being free front row tickets to Hamilton. <laughs> Although, when you think about it, I actually would give five stars to the road company of Carol Channing and Paul Lynn in the last five years, because I think that would be uh, awesome. I would
2: love to hear... Can I hear moving too fast as Paul? <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the one I really want. She's shakes the goddess. <laughs> Been through Erica Schwartz and Danica Weiss, and the Handleman twins. So there you go. You can also leave a comment if you like. That's it. That's your it. reviews. Send us Thank your reviews, you. friends. Please. Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. And
1: this is Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at Broadway Curtain,
2: And make sure to join our Facebook page, at Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. And follow us on Instagram, at Broadway Curtain Podcast, where we put up some fun pictures. Plus, you can always listen to our podcasts on the Broadway world. Ooh, aren't we fancy? <laughs> uh, today's guest has long been one of
1: our favorite performers. There is no greater clown on Broadway than this two-time Tony nominee, who might be best known to all of you as the Centric Nazi playwright Franz Liebkind and the producers, mm. and as the
2: infamous singing and dancing prophet Nostradamus in Something Rotten. Fantastic! But before those massive hits, there was Aspects of Love, Jekyll and Hyde, and not to forget Forbidden Broadway! Plus, he has seen he has seen some of Broadway's most interesting shows, and we get his thoughts on such things as Platinum, Bring Back Birdie. And Carmelina.
1: All oh, those classics wow. to tell us. I cannot wait. Massive We've hits. not discussed platinum yet, so this is exciting. <laughs> no, I didn't even know.
2: Uh, to tell us what it was like to work with Mel Brooks,
1: Andrew Lloyd Webber, and Susan Stroman. Plus, if Into the Light was the most bizarre musical he's ever seen, here is everyone's favorite showman, Brad Oscar. Oh, welcome, Hello. Brad. Hello, Brad. everyone. Thank well, you. Well,
0: so- just to be in a room with people who actually know what those titles mean, <laughs> and I've actually heard those words strung together. Yes. Oh, so when did you get to New York City? Oh, yeah. Uh, I got to New York City, um, I mean, officially moved here after I graduated from college. in the. Uh, I moved here in the fall of 1986. You went and to Boston University? I did. I graduated, yeah. yes, in May. I'm about to have a 30-year college reunion. It's so exciting to actually get, you know, some, to be able to have gotten, uh, gotten, getting, getting so many people together, <laughs> yeah. to come to the city uh, yeah. in a couple weeks, and they're gonna. a lot of them are going to come see them. the show that Love I'm that. doing, which is fabulous, something rotten. And it's going to be very exciting, because it's been 30 years since I graduated from college, which is wild to me, but anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about. Um, uh, <laughs> it uh, is yes, I went wild. to Boston <laughs> University, it, but it goes yes, by moved fast. To New York. Goes it sure <laughs> does. It goes by yeah. very fast. Where, uh, yeah. where were you before Boston? Uh, well, I was born and raised in D.C., in Washington, D.C. My parents are D.C. natives, so I grew up there, and that was my, um, I mean, you know, a great place again to be introduced to live theater because at the time a lot more shows did try out as far as Broadway stuff. But then we also had, you know, one of the finest regional theaters in the country, Arena Stage. Where you work uh, a lot. Where I then have been able to work, which is was a total You know, one of those crazy, wonderful things. Because so much of my education was seeing shows at Arena Stage. Mm -hmm. You know, my first, uh, uh, you know, Streetcar Named Desire, my first, you know, Moliere. Just uh, the education that one gets at a good regional theater is is irreplaceable and and can happen nowhere else. It certainly can't happen here in New York, as we know. Were your parents artistic as well? They were in that they loved going to the theater and did some community theater when they were younger as well, when I was growing up, when I was younger. And so, yeah, they did. And again, that was inherited, uh, especially my mom's parents. My mom's father, my grandfather, was uh, loved the live theater and uh, was also sort of in show business in the periphery in the film business, delivering uh, uh, literally when you literally delivered the reels and the pictures to the theaters. He had a whole route, And so that was his sort of connection to it. But anyway, yes. So in that respect, wow. I came by that love Honestly, um, and was introduced to live theater at a very early age. That's so wonderful. Yeah. What Mm -hmm. were some of your favorite musicals growing up? Um oh wow well a touchstone for me and ask anybody who knows me only too well is is the musical Mame uh because uh 1972 and I am uh 8 years old and at that time the great stars still took their shows out on these summer tours and you they played this summer the summer circuit yes. exactly Westbury Music Fair up here we had in Maryland Shady Grove Music Fair outside of Washington DC Nice uh and that summer not only did I get to see Gwen Verdon, and Ray Walston in Damn Yankees. What? Yes, I'm not kidding you. But I saw Angela Lansbury in MAME, and that was the summer, around the same time that Bedknobs and Broomsticks had just come out. So putting all that together... Anyway, my folks, God bless them, sent a note backstage uh, that we were there, that I was a big fan of the film, so excited to be there. Would she say hello to us? It was the first of, oh my God, like six or seven times that she greeted us backstage over the years. She is... I can't say enough about her. I was able to be a part of a, the Oscar Hammerstein tribute to her last year. The York Theater gives out that award. Yeah. Just talking about it, I'll get all choked up. Totally. Because really, she, uh, she taught me not only, of course, so much about what it means to be you know, a great stage performer and everything that she did, but her off stage her graciousness towards us as a family towards uh, was just something that is you know still just etched in my oh, yeah. you know and i hope affects the way i greet people you know what i mean oh, it yeah. really it really did form so much of how important that is the connection that you make with an audience you don't know you don't know what's going on you don't know yeah. what you're doing to people every night you have to yeah, that's a responsibility that I think we have. But anyway, blah, especially blah, in, blah, in a long blah. run, in
2: a long, you know, when you yeah, play yeah, exactly, the part over and over again, when and you are, and it is yes, a job sometimes. Is, exactly. And so, but you are there is you never but, know who you're yeah, going to affect. Yeah. She is a classy dame in yeah. that regard. Oh, unbelievable! Yeah, You've you worked with her. You yeah, well, I did a little night music, and oh, and I, so uh, but yeah. I saw exactly what yeah. in your experience. I, you learn how to treat someone yes, off stage as well. You know, exactly. just a classy dame. So, so, it, so yeah, it's I, really it's so important. How cool though that she. Share that with your family.
0: At a young yeah, age. I mean, she was wonderful, and I had the chance to tell her this last yeah. year when she came to see something rotten, which was another extraordinary evening in my life. She came backstage, to and I got to—I didn't you. expect her to remember necessarily, you know. Right. Oh, the Oscars! Although every time we went to see her backstage, that dressing room door opened, and she was like, "Oh, the Oscars!" And oh. we felt like we were. Oh, it's yeah, yeah. Anyway, So, cool. so blah blah blah. Have you, you know, ever I'll had a circle? You'll have to get no. Have back. you had no. a chance to do Mame? Have you ever been in? Well, Mame? Ah. To actually play the role of (laughs) if That's what you're asking. You can do it, Why are you inside my head? Get out of my secret dream. (laughs) Um... I have not. I have not. I have not. I don't know that I ever necessarily would or even sort of need to in that way. But um, but yeah, it is certainly, as I said, yes, my sort of touchstone. But, that, but that's
1: the one and for And the you. idea
0: of what a musical should sound like and whatever, you know, that's where it sort of started. Damn Yankees as well, because again, one of the earlier shows that I saw, which again, if you want to talk about the fabulous Yiddish word beshert, you know, time of the serendipity, meant to be whatever, was the first show that I then did at Arena Stage and met my Current husband, damn doing. Yankees, damn Yankees, in DC, in uh, yeah, in two thousand and five. Oh yeah, um, yeah. So that show too, of course, has a resonance in my life that is now, I mean, extraordinary. Not just based on again seeing it initially with the two of them and. You know uh wearing out those albums, oh my yeah. God in the day, you know um so those were yes, very formative,
1: and then what were you your parents were taking you to theaters in the d c area is that correct uh yes,
0: and then we started and then we started coming up to New York bum, what was the bum, first bum, show bah. that you ever saw on the Broadway? Well, here's another you know I love to all the the, the everything lines up <laughs> and I was I was in uh, Standing room at the St. James Theater on, oh. an, on a spring afternoon in 1978, seeing On the 20th Century, uh, just a couple weeks after Madeleine Kahn was summarily dismissed. Oh, yes. So, but the great Judy Kay, who again became, of course, an idol after seeing that, my yeah. first Broadway show, there she is. She was so friggin' amazing. And to have had the opportunity now to work with her and get to know her is, again, one of those pinch-me moments for me of, uh, in, in that respect. But yes, that was... My first Broadway show at the St. James. Um, so yeah, so that's always crazy. Where you to eventually me. spend much exactly, time. Exactly <laughs> where I have had some, you know, some God. joys. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your college training in Boston. Were you focusing on musical theater specifically? Well, that's the thing. Actually, BU did not have a musical theater department. It was not. Uh, it was pretty much strictly text, if you will, um, and that was one of the reasons. One of the reasons why I chose BU. I did not get into Carnegie Mellon. You know, Carnegie Mellon at that point was pretty much the big musical theater school and still in many ways is of course. But but uh, and there was the league of professional theater training schools, you know, it was a different time back then. So there was this umbrella under which you if you were really serious about your craft, you you ideally wanted to go to one of these schools because then at the end of the 4 years, everybody came to New York. I mean, literally all of these schools, like 13, 14 schools. Carnegie Mellon, uh, Boston University, NYU, SMU, uh, You know, with the great theater departments, everybody came in one weekend and did their showcase presentations for the agents and casting directors and whatever. It was just like a slaughter. It was really looking back on it, it was absurd and it doesn't happen anymore. The league no longer exists. A lot of these schools still do their own showcases. They come in the spring, you know, you know about that, but Anyway, uh, 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 what were, uh-oh, question. No, no, you're, you're training line. Back. My no. training line. Well, it wasn't it wasn't musical <laughs> theater. Correct. Based. So it wasn't because I thought I had done so much up to that point as far as musical theater. Yeah. That had been so much of my. Education, whether it was just through experience or at the JCC, and I had been taking voice lessons with an extraordinary teacher who, to this day, I am still in touch with and and you know owe a huge debt of gratitude. And again, not only for the technical stuff she taught me about how to, you know, blah blah blah, but about the business because she too had been in the business and she, um you know, again, it's as much about that keeping your head on your shoulders. I think in many ways, and Amen. I am very grateful to Anne Amenta. Currently and outside I'm of mental. Detroit, Michigan. Thank you, Anne. Uh, yeah, thank Damn. you, Anne, my goodness. So uh, yes, so I thought, hey, let's do some Shakespeare, some Shaw, some text. Let's, let's, let's mm-hmm. you know, become a better actor in that way or, or, or just supplement my, so I did. So that was, yes. And, uh, and then ironically, we did do one musical while I was there, and I was just in the ensemble. I think Michael Chickless got the role that oh. I should have gotten.
1: Yeah. Dare he. We
0: Chiklis. did a production of The Robber Bridegroom. Oh. <laughs> Which has never been a favorite. I know there was a very <laughs> successful revival recently with the great Leslie Kritzer. Oh, gosh. But um, she was funny in that. Oh okay. yeah. Oh, I hear but, she was great. I didn't get to see it. But, but you yeah, were, of all uh, the friggin', can I say friggin'? Can I say it again? Of all whatever the you want. friggin' shows they're gonna do a musical while I'm at to be you. They do the robber bridegroom. <laughs> yeah, there's a score for all of ya <laughs> while you're flossing your teeth and picking the hay out of your. I can say anything you want. <laughs> 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 all right. Anyway. So, yes. Other than that, though, I oh, mean, I mean but, but, you know, I got to do uh, Major Barbara. I played undershaft in Major Barbara. I'll never play undershaft in Major Barbara. I, but I had to, you know, yeah. I had to master that language. I had to wrap my head around what all of these were, you know, I, as an actor. I mean, from literally that technical standpoint, much less whatever performance was, you know, and I don't know how I did, thinking back. But um, but I did relish the challenge, and I was really happy to have the experience. And you know, what a little bit of Shakespeare I was able to sort of master. Get my, you know, not that I have any desire necessarily to do this. I would love, yes, I would love to do, you know, a play. I would Mm -hmm. love to get back on text. I would love to be. I would love to be, uh, I don't know, I just would like to be near the stage door of the front page. I mean, look at that cast, kids. <laughs> I oh, know. No. But God, I mean, wow, right. you look across the street. That's amazing. Above and below the title to get yeah. all those actors on one stage. I mean, that is a celebration. <laughs> uh, incredible. That's incredible. That is fabulous. Whatever it's going to be, man, I just think that's so cool mm-hmm. and so exciting that they could get all those people. Oh, yeah. You know, and it's a limited, and you can make yeah. it work, I guess, financially or whatever. But it is, uh, yeah, that's going to be something else. So then
1: you're done, you're done with Boston. You've graduated. Congratulations. You've had all yes. these wonderful rolls under your belt.
0: Now, what's the next step? So, yeah, I went home for the summer to D.C. and then promptly moved to the city. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. I think it literally was September 1st, 1986. So just a little over 30 years in the city now. Tell us some of the things that you saw in this time that you remember
1: that have a lasting impression on you, either positive or negative. Oh, wow. wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, Into the Light, of course, the Shroud of Turin musical um, <laughs> with Dean was, Jones. Uh, was it really as, as bizarre as people yeah, say? I mean, the I mean, it was Shroud just biz- It was musical. bizarre.
0: And they also were really excited that they had this sort of uh, lasery, Hologram y thing happening, and of course, my. in 1987, I think yeah. that is that I guess that was that was uh woo revolution or whatever. <laughs> but you know, but the you know, again, if the bones and the structure aren't there, you know, whatever, you can have as many holograms or singing nuns or priests on stage. Yeah, I heard there were like, I tap mean, oh wow, oh something? yeah, it oh was my. wild. And you know, it's there's you look at that cast list, you know, there are plenty of people who we can still talk to about Into the Light. You know who know exactly what happened there because they're still working on the Broadway and and uh, but that would be a fascinating to yeah really get inside how that (laughs) sort of happened maybe an
1: encore next year though
0: (laughs) but you know there are like as we talk about there are fun flops there are certainly flops where you're like oh what a heartbreaker because there's so much great material there but it just can't add up or whatever happens you Mm -hmm. know but then there are shows where you're like wow okay. You know, I hate to say I'll never get those two and a half hours of my life back, but you know, in that respect. But I've never left an intermission. You know, a lot of people I've told, oh, I left it. I left an intermission. I'm like, nope. No matter how I just, I'll see it through. There may be some. You just don't know. You have to take the whole ride. It's not fair. To just bail it well, in like and say yeah. you know there's That's no great. way there's going to be any redeeming <laughs> right. you know I don't know I'm always going to the bar and I, yeah. you know we always hope for the best right nobody wants to go in and see yeah. a bomb do it's still they? what we do yeah <laughs> no. <laughs> no no I mean no. exactly you want to no. see something transformative
1: you do yeah. want to have a great even if it's time. just you know. for and 10 I know it's seconds. different
0: you know look it's different when as we know when you're on the other side when you're involved and you're vested emotionally you know big fish was a huge like heartbreak for us because it was so um in in some co- just so summarily dismissed or received in a way that we were like no wait a minute don't you see the the beauty and the simplicity of this story as opposed to all the you know stuff they were laying on us. I I saw
1: Big Fish. I've never seen an audience react like that. Those last fifteen minutes, I'm sure yeah. you could feel it on I mean, stage. Yeah, it, yeah, everyone. Yeah, sobbing. Yeah, everyone wow. sobbing. And you know
0: that alone. Again, that doesn't make a great show. That doesn't mean oh well. Then the whole thing was a success. I agree. There were you know things going on and blah blah blah. Anyway, it's just when you do invest your time and your energy, and especially a piece like that, because we all you know you can't do that tell that story every night and not be emotionally invested. That's yeah what we have to do and it was I'm telling you I've never in my life been so uh, on stage and moved in a way you know in both character and in my own you know Brad responding to what was happening you can't help but observe to a certain extent um, and uh, and it was very special and let me tell you something the best thing is that I would say half the nights that I come out to the stage door of Something Rotten and all of the passionate and great people who wait there to say hi to us um, almost you know Every other night, someone says... We just did Big Fish in my high school or I saw Big Fish and it was one of my favorite shows or oh my god Big Fish Big Fish oh. you know and it's being done which I love yeah. because thank god we recorded you know again it's very important for these things to get record you know for everything to get recorded I think it is it it, yeah. yeah it's just it you know it needs to be, what else is there what we do is so ephemeral it's gone we'll never yeah. see it again Were you a big cast album collector Oh huge yeah I mean yeah and then once I went down the rabbit hole and you know and at that point one had to go to the library pretty much I mean if if, 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 you know, so much stuff was either out of print or uh, as far as older stuff went. You know what yeah. I mean? If you wanted to really explore stuff that, you know, shows that were not the big shows, the big successes. Um, so, yes, I remember that period when I would go to the library and just, you know, rent the albums, and bring them home and, and 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 listen, put them on cassette tape, of course. I had a whole cassette tape collection. Everything was on cassette. You know, whether I had it on the album or not, it was on a cassette so I could, you know, take it in the car or wherever. <laughs> um, and then when the cd became the thing in whatever that was the mid to late 80s and then all of a sudden all the record companies started going into their you know their treasure trove yeah. and releasing all of these sh- and that was another gold mine of as far as those of us who wanted to hear you know i had never heard the grass harp i remember oh, hearing yeah. the grass yeah. harp for the first time when the cd came out and just being blown away by yeah. the score you know and then that he also wrote The Night of the Hunter which mm-hmm. is you know talk about like a composer where I'm like wow you wrote two pieces that I think are absolutely phenomenal had no yeah. real commercial success and no one really knows you know your name. who this yeah, guy yeah, will totally. you know, except for those of us who can appreciate exactly. it exactly but yeah but when all of that happened uh, uh, it was also a very exciting time for the musical theater <laughs> cast album <laughs> Lover in Me yes, yeah when, yes. you, when you
1: were uh, living in New York City in the late 80s do you remember any Really memorable performances that you got to see that that still stick with you to this day.
0: Um. Oh gosh. You know there've been so many. Those formative years. Yeah. Well, one I remember, and it's not. It's 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 earlier than that though. It's uh, but it's Ian McKellen in Amadeus. Amadeus tried out in D.C. Um, so again, I'm still in high school at this point, I think, but because um, you know, in the original production, I don't know if it's done, if it's in the text, but Salieri is in the wheelchair when the audience comes in. The stage is empty, or at least in the original production, he's in the wheelchair. He's hunched over. We don't see his face. He's covered with a with a blanket or whatever. So uh, when the show starts, he you know he reveals himself, and he's this. 90 year old, and here's this. And I did not know who Ian McKellen was at the time, I did not know at all. So, here's this old man starting to talk to us and and lead us down this path. And then, in one beat, he gets out of the wheelchair, the blanket comes off, the lights change, the entire design boom, and he is 50 years younger. He is, I have, I, I still have never seen anything like it. Um, you know, the simplest of stage magic, there was nothing happening. He stood up and the lights changed, but. His, that performance, that being that, for as far as I was concerned, was a 90 year old man in a wheelchair. And then he stood up and boom, he was the younger Salieri and so dashing and handsome. And then proceeded to give, you know, what I still remember to this day was just a jaw dropping performance. So that is something that, you know, has always stuck with me. Um, You know, of course, the original Sweeney Todd, again, because it just affected me so. And it became, you know, you talk about wearing out an album or two albums, as the case may be. uh, so those performances, you know, Angela Lansbury's performance in that, and Len originally too, you know, he was so sexy, he was so hot in that way, and then, you know, giving this this performance filled with this passion and derangement, oh my god, it was just fabulous. Um but yeah, I'm trying to think, like, well, yeah, when I moved here, like, what did I see that, uh, oh, gosh, you know, I want to have everything in front of me, because, you know, there's no, so much course, stuff. Totally. I remember, you know, the original Lend Me a Tenor was, like, to think that, you know, you could, at that point, a new farce, because, you know, we look at some, that, that's such a, not that it's dated, it's just, it's hard to get right, as we know, you know, the original noise is off, my mm-hmm. God, you know, things like that, that were just so exciting, because I felt like I had never seen uh, uh, something, you know, really work like, that well on Stage before, or seeing Crimes of the Heart and thinking, I've never heard language like that. It was so real. Mm-hmm. It was so, there was something about that play. You know, and the, again, these are all earlier to me. These are all those moments when my mind started, you know, waking up, especially to, to text, mm-hmm. you know, and seeing Elephant Man recently, which has been, you know, because the original director of Elephant Man, Jack has just passed away. That original production, being able to see that, which was so stunning and so powerful. Um, so, you know, a lot of that stuff. Uh, made such an impression on me. And then, yeah. And I think because I did go so much in the 80s because when I moved here and I was able to see theater for free for so long like that. um, You know, there's so much that sometimes I forget. It became such a whirlwind of just being able to. But again, it informed my knowledge of like uh, what, again, personally, what affected me and what worked. And then also looking at the professional picture. So what makes a successful musical it's not you know there are a lot of things that go into that mm-hmm. you know and now being able to watch the process happen on a new musical a couple of oh, yeah. times with some of the best of the best and then uh, in this last case with authors who have never written a musical mm-hmm. and were guided by a guy who started out hoofing in the ensemble and then decided he wanted to start choreographing and now is directing and did the most extraordinary dramaturgical work on something rotten, Casey Nicholaw, that I you know have been a part of it, in the pro- on our feet in previews and in new york happy, yeah yeah wow, which is incredible yeah. and you you're lucky
1: cuz you've mostly done new musicals is that correct i mean on um, Broadway is that correct yes on Broadway. yes yeah. exactly
0: yes ever i think uh, were they all new yeah i guess i think yeah i mean went into a- or was in yeah the original right no i guess i haven't been in a revival yet have i and no sadly i'm not in hello dolly Oh, uh, <laughs> i'm so sorry lost. gosh would that lost? be fun right, right? wow maybe oh, yeah. you can
2: do the mad maze so maybe Exactly. You uh, but you must have been auditioning a lot when you when you came and you're you're waitering, yes. but seeing lots of shows. And I, I do. I, I um,
0: be, I had been uh, I had joined AFTRA when I was a kid. I mm. did some TV work in DC, so I had been a member of AFTRA, so I was able to join SAG and Equity. So Ooh. I dealt with that. SAG was a no-brainer because I thought, oh well. I'll join SAG and I can at least do some extra work, you know, SAG Mm -hmm. extra work. And so I did join SAG and, you know, so much more affordable at the time, my God. But, um, But I wrestled with whether I should just join Equity, you know, because huh. as we know, there are pros and cons. Right. Again, it was a slightly different time. And now, I, but now I think there's sort of the same questions. If someone says, you know, should I try to join? You know, they're graduating college. Should I try mm. to join? You know, I'm like, ah, I don't know that that should be your priority. If that happens, if you're led there, fine, you know, but see what's out there first that might lead you ideally we all know that's where we want to be because you want to be a professional actor and that means joining so anyway at one point i did because i thought you know what i want to go to the epas i want to be in the
1: room where it happened
0: (laughs) so i joined equity mostly because i think i was dying to do the tour of broadway bound Broadway Bound had was was uh, happening, and I thought, oh, I could do the brother, Jason Alexander, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. that role because in many ways that was, you know, you always try to look, for, okay, who can I, what can I, you know, which was always tricky for a young character actor because right. there aren't, you know, many of us. But God bless Jason Alexander, he certainly was, um, and um, so anywho, I joined Equity and started going to the EPAs, chorus calls, all that, and that is indeed how I got my first Broadway show because I went to the Open Chorus Call of Aspects of Love. Was it? Totally. And I went to the chorus call and somehow, you know, again, I don't remember specifically, uh, but they wanted to see me again. And I came back and I had to do a monologue. (laughs) And, which was odd, right? The, yes. You know, for amusement, whatever. But it was. Musical, right, like, exactly. Like, exactly. But you know, it was Trevor Nunn, it was, was the just Brits, say it's very whatever. Exactly. <laughs> well, I had done this reading. I was brought in to do a reading of a play that I don't know if it was ever produced or not at the time. I do not know. And I'm not even sure I remember the name of the play at the Dramatist Guild. It was just a reading, but I was brought in or whatever. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I played this random character who had this great monologue, this ridiculous monologue about the size of your bladder and how no matter how he's jealous of all the big muscle guys. It doesn't matter how muscular they are, because guess what? The size of their bladder is the same as mine. And when they got to go, they got to go. This whole monologue, it's ridiculous, (laughs) but it's sort of funny, and it's so random, and like, what's going on with this guy? Well, Trevor Nunn seemed to love it. I, I, I remember him laughing. I remember thinking, oh, well, this is good. Great. Because, you know, I guess my singing is fine. I'm certainly no dancer. I don't remember there being any extensive dance call and as we know aspects of love ain't no toe tapper (laughs) so you know um anyway yes the next thing i know i am cast as a swing you're the swing on it aspects of love and i'm covering you know and and uh yeah and believe me the easiest job for a swing i think swinging is the hardest job so and yeah i have great respect for good swings i don't think i was a good swing i was fine on aspects of love but uh i do not yeah that's a wow did you stay with it for the whole run? I did. Well, the whole run was a year. Well, but yes, I did yeah. stay with it. But yeah, we did run a year. And who did you understudy? Well, all the character men in the ensemble oh, yeah. and the role of Marcel. Marcel. Who sings the dear, uh, the perfect leading lady at the top of Act Two? Uh, yes, I yeah. understand the role of Marcel, originated by the great Walter Charles. Mm. Oh, of course, great Walter Charles, who I was such a you know fan of Walter Charles in the original Sweeney Todd and a Sweeney cover who did it plenty. And I actually saw him play Sweeney at one point because I saw it so many times. And then it, the tour opened in D.C. I saw it once a week in D.C. for like five weeks. Amazing. I was upset. Amazing. Was, oh um, so yeah, so getting to work with Walter again, yeah. you talk about you know things that I that I didn't take for granted. You know, I was like, wow, I'm getting to you know, I'm working now with this actor who has done these things, you know, and because it all meant so much to me and because I was so, you know, in love with the form and then in love with the idea of of being able to be a part of that world. Yeah, it's not and it and never is is lost on me still. Did you ever go up to,
1: to somebody like Walter or one of your idols and say thank you so much? For- oh yeah.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Always, I think. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I because it, I mean, I want them to know in a way. I think I get again because and now that I've been on the other side of it a couple of times, which of course just sort of makes you feel old and aware, of it, but I'm also like, "No, I'm so grateful. That's so amazing. Oh yeah. my god, I can be someone, you know, um Yeah, people who like, oh, you know, people who saw Jekyll and Hyde, who saw me in ensemble, you know, because I did Jekyll and Hyde for almost four years here in New York. And there were, for better or worse, people who loved that show, saw that show. And here I am working with the great Rob McClure. And Rob is like, oh, I was dating a girl at the time and she loved Linda Etter. And we saw Jekyll and Hyde so many times. And I saw you up there and I loved, you." you know, and... That just, you know, and I'm like, wow, Uh, you know, and how sweet of him to say, you know, and and, uh, in that way, because as we talked about, you are doing something eight times a week. You don't know who you're affecting. You don't know who's out there, you know, and our show again, every night at the stage door, it's my fourth time. It's my sixth time. Oh my God. It's, you know, and they're all ages and sizes. It's not just the kids. It's not just, you know, the, the Altacacas from, (laughs) from Jersey. It's. You know, it's really Literally. fabulous. It's a very special... Uh, after I did The Producers, I didn't think anything like that could happen again. I didn't think I would hear that sound in a theater again, mm. especially in the exact same theater. <laughs> you <know>. Right? <laughs> but I really didn't. And I got to tell you, for the first couple months of our run, as far as previews and after opening those initial houses, some nights... It was crazier than the producers because people came to the producers with an expectation of right. something. It delivered, but they expected something. People came to something rotten, not really knowing what the hell to expect. Yeah. And then when it did deliver like that and they responded, it was crazy. I mean, it was, oh, you know, oh, yeah. yeah. So that, yeah. Three Wednesdays ago, it was a matinee and it
2: the show was stopped after there was a second act no it, it, i mean the sh- i mean yeah. like yeah. i was like it was i couldn't believe that all these yeah. older ladies were screaming yeah. Yeah. and I th- tourists and i
1: think i saw the, the second or third preview oh, of wow, something really. really it was like a rock concert wow.
0: It yeah. was literally like a rock concert. Yeah. I've never heard we that reaction. We were so we before. were shocked at how embraced we were mm-hmm. by the the community if you will because you know as I said working on a show in preview previewing in New York is is tricky business cuz everyone's there and if they're not there they're hearing about it and pretending they were there or whatever but <laughs> So, you know, it's a, yeah, it is a, a tricky place to actually get any work done, which is why it's great for a musical to go out of town, as we know, a very healthy thing. And we were all concerned that maybe, you know, would this be the wrong decision? Because it um, didn't try out of town. It called, no, we did it. a four-week lab mm-hmm. in the fall of, well, two years ago, in the fall mm-hmm. of, uh, of September of 14, we did a. A four-week lab. And by the end of that lab, as you well know, we had a full production up on its feet. We were all in costume pieces. We had prop pieces. We had a hell of a lot of plywood masquerading as this and that. And we did a full-on, because that's what they do these days. That's what they want. The producers, the money, the people who are going to invest need to see as much as they can possibly see. And it's a real mixed blessing, I'll tell you. But in this case, by the end of that four-week process, because it was on the page and because Casey is a very smart man, we... We sort of had it there in the room. Everyone felt like, well, I don't know that we need that step. We don't need to necessarily. And things lined up, and other things were going to happen that might have futzed with mm-hmm. the, what we had as far as cast. Mm-hmm. So things lined up. The St. James became available. We took the plunge, and you know, wow. uh, but but we were shocked as to how embraced we were because it's very easy to look at a show like this uh, that's so meta, if you will, and so nudge nudge, wink wink about all of the things that we reference, and uh, uh, it's easy to sort of been there, done that. And i that was a concern of mine along the way. Is that going to be an issue? We can get a, away with anything, because I, as Nostradamus, can see anything, and that makes right. sense, because mm-hmm. I'm the soothsayer, and that's what so a soothsayer totally. does. So we have license. So at least we, for better or for worse, you know, it comes right. from a place of, okay, but this is the guy who is seeing this, you know, and this is how we're telling the story, blah, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, those initial audiences... Just everybody came there and had a fabulous time. (laughs) And yeah. When you were auditioning, did you have a standard go-to audition song? Um, I would use Try Me from She Loves Me. I remember at times. Um, What else would I? Well, then I started using um, uh, Rich, Famous, and Powerful, My Simple Christmas Wish, David oh, Friedman yeah. wrote for Alex Corey. Uh, yeah, it's a great song, very funny song. Yeah. So I, I would use that. That's, those are good ones. Yeah. It is. And, yeah.
2: and I'm fascinated that you were, you're known for being a funny guy. But you were in Aspects of Love, and then Jekyll and Hyde. <laughs> yeah, Jekyll and Hyde, exactly. For years and years and years. Oh, trust me, they
0: were hilarious. <laughs> if you only knew what was going on.
2: Were you a part of that original rehearsal process with Jacklyn Hyde? And uh, well, Jacklyn Hyde, was there you know, well, Hyde well,
0: went through. Yeah, I mean, again, Hyde I mean, was one of those shows that morphed so many times um, right. over the years uh, in an attempt to, I don't know what. To be honest with you, because. In some ways, I think you, sometimes you end up never getting better than what you had initially. Now, initially, though, I was not a part of it because I think initially it was done like in 1990 in yeah. Houston. Mm-hmm. I come into it because Frank Wildhorn and Linda Etter, who were together at the time and for a while, saw me do Forbidden Broadway in Los Angeles and loved it and loved all, all of right. us. And we came back and we were chatting and blah, blah, blah. And like a week later, I get a call, do you want to be on this concept album of Jekyll? We're recording. And I literally just did ensemble and had one or two solo lines here or there. But that's the uh, the black album, as we refer uh-huh. to it in Jekyll Land. <laughs> yep, <laughs> with the great Anthony Warhol oh, singing oh, he's so the good. hell out of that. So yeah, so that was my introduction. So then a couple months later, I get a call. Oh, we're doing a production at the, uh, we're doing Houston and Seattle, the Tuts thing. We're mm-hmm, doing. Mm-hmm. So I did that, and that was like a three month thing, and then came back to New York, and then uh, a couple months later, we embarked on a. Nine month pre Broadway tour. Oh, wow. With that same basic production, made some tweaks along the way, (laughs) did this tour, which I think went pretty well, but obviously not well enough. So, toward the end of the tour, we hear rumblings this isn't coming in, this production is not coming into New York, but it's still coming into New York next year. This is the beginning of 96, Mm -hmm. still coming in in 97, but it's not going to be. This production, this director, or whatever. So, um, yeah, we all thought, well, most of us are probably screwed as far <laughs> as that goes, or whatever. But indeed, I did remain. I was one of the few ensemble. Me and and uh, and my dear John Tracy Egan, I huh. think. And then, of course, the principal uh, Cuccio, Robert Cuccioli, and Christiane Noll and Linda Eder. They remained, uh. but the rest of the cast changed. You know, and that was again another really shitty situation. Wow. Because there were people who had invested so much time and energy, yeah. you know, again, yeah. you're developing Years. a show. Yeah. It becomes, yeah. this is your family, this is your your personal, you know, your professional life, you're, you're vested in what's mm-hmm. happening and what's going on, and you think ultimately it's going to bring you home and here to to Mecca, and, uh, and you get screwed, and it happens a lot it happens more than it doesn't sometimes so anyway Dude. what do
1: you think drew people to the to the show with that that much passion and that much fervor
0: um i guess you know i guess ex- i guess just that the passion and the fervor of the piece that elevated the heightened emotions um, uh, whether they were you know in love with robert Cuccioli, unless i mean you know, some of them of course there were fans who just adored bob and you yeah. know were just taken by bob and and wanted to see him and were big fans of his, and um, but then there were you know others who were just really fans of the show, and and I, I, I guess you know it's just that. I mean, I think some of the melodies are gorgeous, I think some of the songs are great, they stick in my head. I think they're great songs. I mean, you again, you can judge them if you want about how they are. I mean, are they musical theater, blah, blah blah blah. And my god, in the last 20 years, so much has happened. What is musical theater anymore, anyway? It's a way of telling a story, tell it however you want to tell it, you know, the music, does, you know, right, whatever, yeah. But that was a time, let's face it, when you were either pretty much a traditional musical or you were a pop yeah, musical. That's right. You know, we didn't have a hip-hop musical, and we didn't have a jukebox musical, and we didn't have those other musicals yet, really. So, you know, Frank took a lot of grief, I think, in a certain way. and I think he
2: Still does, I think. Yeah, still, he still does. does I'm and sure. yet, you know
0: what? I think Pimpernel, his next score, is actually, I think there's some great stuff in Pimpernel, yeah. some great musical theater stuff in Pimpernel, yeah. you know? And, uh, Yeah. But anyway, I, I don't know, but people took to it, and there we were for four years. Wow. Chekhov yeah. on Hyde, yeah. and it's still going. Yeah, it's done
1: everywhere. People mm-hmm. still, oh, yeah. still love it, love it, love yeah. it, love it. Totally. What do you like out of a, a fellow actor in the rehearsal room? What do you appreciate?
0: Well, in the rehearsal room. You In the rehearsal room. In the rehearsal room. Um, I like uh, personal hygiene. I like. I like. Um. Okay. Look. The of course the project dictates a certain amount of what's going on, right? But we're all there, ideally. To we're, we're okay. We're there to tell this story, whatever the story is. But as far as the work that has to happen. Um, I think we're all there to have a good time. I think we're very lucky to be in a profession where we get to play, where we get to, you know, tell these stories by taking on the guys of whoever we're playing or whatever. And we're very lucky to be professionals and get to do that because there aren't many of us who have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. So right away, I think there has to be sort of a certain like, okay, we're, you know, this is great that we're here. So let's work from a place of, you know, of that. And now let's all try to be as, yeah, as cooperative and let's work together. Because you can't do this alone. You're not an island. And, uh, and actors who are, actors who don't seem to want to, you know, um, yeah, I don't. they're not fun to work with. I don't feel like we're doing the same thing. I feel like I'm still trying to break through your bubble in a way. I'm, st- I'm still trying to, what's going on, you know? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just, I, I, I like it for it to be the most productive environment that it can be. Non-judgmental. You know, mostly for myself. I don't want to judge myself. I want to feel free to do, you know, and that's been an issue that I've had to deal with as an actor over the years um, and still do, and still do. And I think it's ridiculous. I'm like, wow, Brad, what more, you know, but those are all the things that we that you know make us who we are, and that is right. part of who I am. And so I try to acknowledge it without letting it stop me or get in the way because I know that it gets in the way of me being the best that I can be, the full, to bring everything to the table, you know, and then trust that, that there's a director there, that there's people there that are going to help shape it. It's not my responsibility to come up with a finished product. It's not my responsibility to come up with the right answer. It's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to you know as i said bring it all to the table let's you know to try things to explore but then ideally yeah i want to have a director who is there to shape i want to have an eye i don't want to be the one who decides i can't be i don't think you know and i know actors who are islands in that way and they sort of or they yes they yeah 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 the director and then they're still doing what they want to do or they're still not sort of you know and i think that you need to be able to collaborate what do you look for out of a director in the rehearsal process. Well, again, the, uh, all of all of that, I guess the the uh, the trust that that I'm there because you know you want me in the room here, so you obviously hired me for me. So I'm going to try to just, as I said, bring as much of me. And but I want a director who encourages that, and I want a director who then um, uh, is uh, you know is there then to help to be the I, to give me the feedback, and to help then let's shape this together and with the other actors. You know, yeah. You know, you want a collaborator. You want someone who's in on the process because it can't be... No one person can have all of the power or no one person can have all of, you know, that final say because there is no one answer, you know? There's no one... If if we're doing a surgery on a patient, there's one way to do that surgery, ideally, the right way, okay? We can do that. If you're trying a case, you make your choice, whatever, but it's a more, you know, technical assault on what your project is. What we do is... Uh, uh, very subjective. There are There's no right and wrong. We say there's there's good and bad. This works. This doesn't work. You know that's that's subjective. So you hope you have a director who is bringing the pro- you know d- steering and guiding and putting everybody on the same page. And especially when you're doing a musical, which I think is ten times as hard as mm-hmm. directing a play, because you have so many different departments and you have a process. Of, you know the book, the music, and the lyric. Three things have to add up as far as what's on the page there, and then much less all the design elements and all that stuff. So mm. so I want the director also to be the ringleader. I want the director to be trying to get everybody on the same page. Again, not my way or the highway, but let's all get on the same page. Because when everyone's on the same page, we've seen what can happen. We've seen something like Hamilton, which... The design, to me, was so extraordinary. I mean, Hamilton, it's great. Yes, my God, everything, so much about, obviously, all that work that Lind... It's just amazing the way they tell the story. But the design, to me, I was so the costume design the set the lighting it all it's all telling one story it all felt so organic yeah. you know and how does that happen it happens because great artistic minds are able to come together and obviously work to their full potential but all somehow get on that same elusive page mm-hmm. and I, I think that's a really special thing I think it happened with the producers you know I think that I mean as objective as I can be about something that I've been a part of yeah. you know I felt like we all just knew exact. everybody got it everyone was like yep this is we're not going in different directions mm-hmm. I've worked on so many projects where it's very apparent and I've seen so many projects or heard about so many projects that have just gone up in flames because they can't get everybody on the same page especially if it's the creative team yeah you know, especially if your book writer's not getting along with this or your, you know, your director has a vision, but the author's like, no, da, 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 you know? Know? or even worse, a producer who had, you know, a producer who and this happens and it's the way of the world. And the producer is, yeah, he's given you the bucks to do it. So he he yeah. can, yeah. should maybe have a say. Wow. And there are producers that wanna have, you know, a lot of say. And that's not always gonna be the correct artistic, you know, but it's again. It's all subjective at the end of the day. Mm. We can talk about this, you know, until the cows come home. So, oh yeah, I was going to say, uh, yeah. take us back
2: to your audition for The Producers. When, Boy, how well did that's, you get oh involved? Oh, God, what a wild story. <laughs> this is such yeah? a wild story.
0: Well, yeah, it is. My gosh. Um, so I was doing Jekyll and Hyde, and Jekyll and Hyde was great about giving uh, some of us in the ensemble leave of absences occasionally mm-hmm. to maintain our sanity <laughs> So, like, I got to go do my first encores, which was cool, you know, in the ensemble. Was that? Oh, do yeah. Re Mi. Nice. With Nathan Lane and, uh, and the great Randy Graff. And Love that um, recording. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's great, a great recording. recording. Again, yeah. you know, a score that I discovered doing that show that I was so like, good. wow, how fun. You know, whatever. yeah. So anyway, uh, but then, wouldn't you know, I had the opportunity to go and play Santa Claus for the Radio City Christmas Spect. Killer. When it was being done in several other cities around the country at the holiday time. This no longer happens, sadly. But uh, at that point, we had Coney, Christmas Outside New York. <laughs> so I audition and I get, uh, yes, so I get to go play Santa Claus. The first year I did it was '99, the, the Christmas of '99, in Los Angeles, which was. I got to tell you, you talk about a gig that was like, oh, my God, it was so much fun. I got to dance with the Rockettes. I'm playing Santa. I get to dance with the Rockettes. We're at the Universal Amphitheater. I'm staying at a great apartment in L.A. I'm there for the holiday. My best friend lives out there. I mean, I just had a ball. I was treated well. I made a a nice. More money than I was making in the ensemble of Jekyll and Hyde. I mean, I made a nice. You know, for the first time, I made a big chunk of change for, you know, whatever, two months. So, okay, blah, blah, blah. So, the next year, I'm back at Jekyll. Next year comes around. can I go do Santa? Yes, you can. Branson, Missouri. Because the director, the great Linda Haberman, was putting it up in Branson, and I wanted to go work with Linda again, and I thought, well, when the hell will I ever go to Branson? And uh, you know what the hell it has its charm? Let's give it a whirl. <laughs> yeah. does it? So I go to Branson. <laughs> so we could talk about Branson. Well, we could spend forty five minutes talking about Branson. But so I get a phone call from my agent. They are looking for a standby for Nathan Lane for the producers. It is literally a month before they're starting rehearsals. This is the last thing they're casting. The show is cast. So I figure, okay, this is either the best $1,000 I'll ever spend or just a tax write-off. I will fly to New York on Monday, the Monday uh, after Thanksgiving, I believe it was. I will fly to New York from Branson on my day off Monday. I will audition. I will fly back to Branson. We'll see what happens, but I'm not going to not. I had not gone in. I don't know if my agent had submitted me initially, but I had not gone in at all during the process for the producer. Wow. Uh, so I go in. I, uh, I sing Rich, Famous, and Powerful, I believe, and I read the Max office scene and the first and the Franz scene. I read Max and Franz, because at that point they're like, uh, just read Franz as well, just so we have something to, you know. I get on the plane the next morning to go back to Branson. My cell phone rings, my little flip phone Before I had to turn it off, I get up, I go into the bathroom, I see it's my agent. I got the gig. They want you. Well, by the time I started rehearsals two weeks later and was able to get out of my Radio City contract, thanks to Susan Stroman, and the Radio City and the Garden were under the same umbrella. They still are, right? Madison Square Garden and Radio City, I think. Anyway, she had been putting up Christmas Carol for years at the Garden. So she got in touch with whoever she needed, and she said, I need your Santa in Branson. (laughs) And so she... Made it happen, got me out of the contract. Yeah. Now by the time I started rehearsals for the producers, I was a swing. I wasn't just standing by for Nathan Lane. I was covering Nathan and the role of Roger Debris, played by Gary Beach, Uh and the role of Franz Liebkin. And I was covering all of the character men in the ensemble. Well, I mean, of course I was like, okay, sure. But you know, I was terrified. A lot of material. yeah, and it was a big show and it was a dancy show and even the character men to an extent had to do stuff. Not crazy tap, but enough that I was I was concerned about. And I started t- Oh, my God, it's hilarious. I started taking, like, ginkgo, biloba. I started taking all these, p- anything that I thought would improve my memory. I was, like, freaking out. And then we get to Chicago, and we're in tech in Chicago to try out. And the actor playing Franz has a knee issue and opts to have the surgery right away because, and it made sense at the time, he would be better by the end of Chicago. And ready for New York? Well, here am I, here am I, then Mr. Swing, but the first Franz cover. So I get the last week of tech and our you know final dress rehearsals, and then I play it through opening night in Chicago. And after opening night, there was only a week left of performances. Most of Chicago was previews, if you will. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, yeah, and I you know it was wild because, of course, you know, being thrust at the moment into that scenario, I'm like, all right, I had to tell myself so many times, look, again, you're here because you're here. You're here because whatever you did, you know, it's okay. Because wow, all of a sudden, I'm playing with the big boys. I mean, you know, and I had been doing this, again, I had been on Broadway for between Jekyll and Aspen. So it wasn't like this was my first, you know, time at the rodeo. But certainly, wow, this was an opportunity. I wanted to certainly bring as much of myself to it and enjoy it. But I also knew that wow, this is really special, and I I want to, uh, yeah, just get my head in the right place. And I did, and everyone could not have been more lovely, more encouraging. So there we are, and I'm, you know, I'm Franz. So I'm not only my starting with doing these initial performances, but we're in rehearsal during the day, still fixing the show. And I believe the other actor was there, but I was the guy on stage, and I... So, you know, things naturally... I mean, it's such a wild situation. So uh, anyway, he came back, he he did do the rest of the Chicago run, and um, but when we got back to New York, they decided that they wanted me to stay as Franz. And so they paid him off, and, uh, and I was Franz. And it was crazy. So there I was, Franz. And then my only responsibility, so I was never tested as a swing, which I'm still <laughs> I mean, thankful uh, to this day for. But yeah, <laughs> I was Franz, and I was also still covering Max, but that was it. And sort of a second Roger Debris cover, but I never went on for Roger Debris. What? I did have one rehearsal. I, I did get to try on the dress, but I never actually got to go on for Roger. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it was crazy, and so then I was Franz, and then the whole thing like you know, literally went the from the
2: swing to Tony yeah, nominee. Yeah. <laughs> like, incredible. You know I mean, like, like crazy. That is so. I, I had no idea. I'd never knew that.
0: That's wild. Yeah. yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> now
1: you you got to work with Mel Brooks, who is oh yeah the comic genius yeah. of the of the 20th century. What is that experience yeah. Yeah. like? Getting to hear his feedback, getting to collaborate with someone. Well, that you know, the
0: first thing I remember dealing with, uh, or not even dealing with, just was like is. I can't believe I'm hearing that voice live in the room, because the voice is so iconic, yeah. right? So to be in the presence of, uh, of this man, uh, especially uh, at this time, because everyone was very excited about this project. Um, you could feel that, you know, again, things you just feel when things are sort of going right, when the material is there, when it's playing, when you've lined up the cards right. Nathan and Matthew, so beautifully cast. You know, everybody working together in the room to make this thing happen. And again, uh, you talk about collaboration. I mean, you have very strong personalities as well. I mean, this was Mel Brooks, and this was Susan Stroman's first directing gig. You know, many people assumed Mel directed it, and Stroh got the, she got the credit, but, oh, Mel must have really directed it, you know? No, he did not direct it. Stroman was... You know, again, that's where the buck stopped. But the buck didn't stop because she had delayed... No, the buck stopped because everyone agreed, ultimately, based on whatever, that this was the best, but it was, you know... um, But Mel was great in that way. I remember that, too, and I remember liking that and thinking, well, this is good, because if we felt like he was stepping on her toes, you know, that feels weird to the company, because the company is sort of, you know, especially, again... uh, uh, a, a person like Susan Stroman, who, as a former performer and dancer, knows what it's all about, and is simpatico in a way that some directors and choreographers aren't, or can't be, or choose not to be. Because um, I've worked with plenty who've gone to the other side, and all of a sudden it's like they were never one of us. And I'm like, really, yeah. you're going to say you're going to treat someone like that? And if you were treated that way five years ago, would that have been kosher with you? Mm-hmm. I don't think so, and it makes me crazy. But Susan Stroman, Casey Nikola, my God, the best of the best. Know what it's all about and treat their actors and their company with that much more respect because we are out there doing it eight times a week. We are, who's representing your work? I mean, you know, for better or for worse, at the end of the day, you're leaving it with us. So wouldn't it be nice if we could all get along and have a mutual respect, you know, in that respect? So anyway, um... But, yeah, I mean, it was Mel was uh, uh, still as inventive and crazy and clever as always. And then, again, personally, his support of me when I was thrust into that situation, when I was going on as Franz, you know, they were all so supportive. And, I mean, if Mel was, you know, one thing and Bancroft was, uh, my gosh, uh, the, the cherry on that Sunday, because yeah. she was there the whole time, too. Uh-huh. So to have her come over to you and grab you by the face and look into that face and be told, you know, how wonderful you were doing and how proud everyone was of you. And, you know, oh, my God, it was crazy. So, you know, but I went with that. I thought, well, okay, I don't think they're bullshitting me. They have no reason to bullshit me. They, they can get anybody in here tomorrow. Anybody would come into this room tomorrow to take this, you know, they could get anybody they wanted. They could have very easily recast that role in an instant, you know, but they didn't. And, and uh, uh, my God, and, uh, yeah. So, yeah. Very special, especially, you know, again, when people that I respect and admire and worship like that, you know, say nice things to me, I'm sorry, I'm still, you know, to this day, you know, and I don't know, I, I look at some people and I think they're not faced by it or whatever, or they think they're, you know, does that mean I think I'm less than, you know, well, no, at the end of the day, I no, I don't feel less than, I'm just... I'm just still such a fan, in a way, of what we do. That when I, you know, oh, yeah. when when someone praises me, who I respect, that means a lot. It yeah. really does, and I think that's okay. I think
1: so. <laughs> Did you enjoy uh, going from Franz to Max? Was that some? Was that daunting? Was it intimidating? Was well, it
0: so- um, for the first year of the run, because I was still covering. Uh, the role, I went on about 72 times. Someone asked me to count. At the end of the year when Nathan left, I was asked, uh, I don't know why, some interview or whatever. And so I did, and the number was 72. Wow, <laughs> so yeah. There we go. higher okay. number than I would well, have thought. Well, you know what? God bless him. You know, again, no one gave more every night on stage. And that role, and it's not vo- It's not the singing. It's the screaming. The, it's the shouting. Yeah, it's the, the vocal, energy, yeah. that. And... Um, Yeah, and it just, you know, it caught... And you can't play catch-up. As we know, on Broadway, you can't play catch-up. You're doing it eight times a week. There is no time for the body. Nobody does what we do. Sports figure, ballet, opera. Nobody does what they do with their bodies eight times a week. I mean, especially if it's a heavy dance show or a heavy vocal show or Mm -hmm. whatever. And he did not have an... all. You know, there was no... Nathan's not doing matinees or whatever. But there did then become a window where he did not do... um, I don't know if it was both Wednesday and Saturday exactly, but I knew for a w- little window of time there, I had regular performances, which was crazy yeah. because then I knew I was going on, yeah. and I would, you know, do the matinee as Max, and then the evening as Franz, <laughs> and it was surreal. It was it surreal. Wild. But you know, it was um, again another huge lesson. I had to walk out there and trust that I. I could do I could lead I could be the leader because you are the leader there's no denying and I think that's a responsibility when you are in a role like that mm-hmm. uh, as as I mentioned earlier with Brian Darcy James you are the leader you are the anchor the show spins around you and that is a responsibility that you have not just to the audience not just to your fellow performers not just to the story but you know to yourself I think and I because in my earlier when I was growing up or when I did shows and whenever I played the lead in the show I knew what that meant. I understood that in a way. Now, here I was, you know, on stage at the St. James friggin' theater, but you know what? I was an actor in front of an audience, and that's the same. So I, I remember at the time thinking, okay, you know, you, you know what this means. Yeah. Now. Just do it here, and just don't question, you know... And uh, I know the audiences, I mean, my God, can you imagine walking in and they had everything was printed up? I mean, it was so permanent, basically, at those performances, the role of Max, you know. So yeah. I knew half the audience, more than half the audience, most of the audience that wasn't my family. <laughs> you know, it was probably like, oh, oh my God, great. I can't believe it. Great, it's been $100, I waited six months, and now I'm seeing Brad, Oscar, what, is that two first names? Make up your mind. You know, um, but again, I got to tell you, nine times out of ten... By the time, first of all, you always got one star for your buck, because Matthew was never out when Nathan was out. So you okay. always got to see at least one yeah. big star. You got to see Matthew kids. So I always felt like, okay, at least thank God yeah. Matthew's here. <laughs> it's not like I'm the only. It's not like, you know, I'm playing Dolly. Oh
2: and I'm not God. playing Dolly, by
0: the way. And I'm still not over it. <laughs> not even the alternate. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. So, um, but I by the end of the show, man, oh my God. After betrayed, especially, when I got betrayed under my belt, when mm-hmm. I really because you know muscle memory is a great thing, and a number like that is, is just such a friggin' exercise. I mean, it just goes, and it's it's a fabulous. And you know they added that after they did the first reading, which I was not a part of. But you know Max needed an eleven o'clock number, mm. and so they wrote that number for Nathan. And um, uh, uh, once I got that number under my belt, and it didn't kill me, you know, just b- literally my breathing, right vocally, to get to the end and sustain that last note. Um, and I could, and it was in my body. Man, I really, I mean, you know, I just felt, you know, again, uh, it's, it's all, you know, we're, we're, we're judging for better or for worse, and I, I'm all for, I'm the last one, believe me, who's going to say, I nailed that. Look at me, how good I was. Mm. But I had a, sent, a command of it, you know, that I felt so, and then the, again, it was never lost on me, what I was doing. To, you know, a little percentage of my mind said, you are out here right now, starring in the biggest show currently running on Broadway, and you have this responsibility because the star, you know, and you're doing this, and... My god, what an amazing thing that was. Uh, my responsibility in that way, Mm. but yeah, and again, I think all that is positive that's positive energy, that's stuff that then channels into you know what I'm doing. And as long as the the last stop before it comes out is Max, is the moment, you know, then I believe all those things can be going on in your mind. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sure there are actors who have to be 100% in the moment. I'm Max Biala, who is Brad Oscar? What do you mean, audience? You know, oh, okay, wow, really? Great, you know. Any actor who's on stage who really, really goes, I mean, come on, hey, wake up, come back Please, to me. Yeah. Come back to me, we're acting. I mean, you know, in that way. So, totally. But, you know, it is something, sometimes I think, oh, should I not be thinking, these? should these thoughts not be going through my mind right now? Am I off task? But, you know, but I'm not. The mind's a wonderful thing, as we know, um, especially when you're doing something eight times a week, you know, so all of that, you know, I just think that's all stuff that adds up to create a performance and to sustain a performance. Yeah. you know, as we've talked about,
2: that's the other challenge. Yeah, you've done a couple For long sure. runs of shows, and yeah, I've been very you, lucky. Uh, how do you maintain that freshness, other than <laughs> the celebration
0: and the responsibility that you've talked um, about? But the purely technically, well, um, look, there's no denying it was much harder doing four years of Jekyll and Hyde right. than it was doing four years of the producers, or you know, a year and a half or almost two years of of, of something rotten right now. Because being in the ensemble, obviously, you are part of the bigger picture. You don't um, you don't necessarily get the satisfaction or the sense of accomplishment every night mm-hmm. that your fellow principal actors do, because you don't have the opportunity as much to shine, to do whatever. And that can wear on one. Um, and uh, it was, I'm not going to lie to you, sure, it was a challenge, but... Every night I walk through a Broadway stage door. And again, I never let myself forget that. Mm -hmm. So, you know. And you just find ways. I mean, look, anyone who's doing eight shows a week on Broadway and is bitching about it then should just get the hell out. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I think most of the people that I worked with, especially, you know, in a show like Jekyll, when you are doing it, you know, and it's, you know, we were a soft hit. We were running. We weren't the hottest thing. We weren't sold out. My God. Um, But yeah. It was it becomes your family. And then that's what anchors you as well, you know, because you become a family, for better or for worse, a big dysfunctional family. You know, everybody in the building, not just the actors, the crew and wardrobe and front of house and all that stuff. And that's what sustains you because you're all you're going to work every day, and that's our job. And a job is a job is a job. You know, people say, Oh, you know, are you still having fun every night? Is it still and you know, for the most part, yes, I am. But it's also a job. So yeah, are there days when I'm like, oh, Gosh, I would really just like to sit here, you know, on my ass now and watch, you know, this baseball game tonight and not go to work. I would really love to do that. Well, who doesn't wake up saying that on some mornings? I mean, you know. So yeah, does that mean that I'm not going to, you know, no? Do I ever call in when I say that? No. I think that is. Believe me, there have been occasions. When my husband's like, "Oh, well, you should just, you know, you can just call in or whatever." And I'm like, no. Can't do it. You know, if I'm sick, if, I'm, if there's a reason for me to call in, I will. But just because I'm sitting home and I'm like, oh, God, I can't believe I have to do the show again tonight. My God, you know, uh, uh, please. That we
1: are very blessed. Yeah. Thank you, by the way, on yeah. behalf of all the audience members out there. Thank you for doing that. Well,
0: again, and the young people and, uh, who yeah, need to hear yeah. that too. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, but yes, that's what isn't that what being a professional is all about? Is right. doing your job to the best of your ability. And if you, especially, again, in a, in a subjective world, in a craft where where uh, 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 what's good and bad is based on someone's opinion or whatever. So if you're randomly lucky enough to get there and have that gig, that uh, you know there are uh, hundreds of people who would line up right now to take that job. Um, it's a responsibility, and it's a thing. And yes, I agree. I think sometimes the the younger... You know, and that's societal, too. I mean, let's face it. We live in a society where, you know, more than ever, anyone can have their 15 minutes. More than ever, anyone can become a star tomorrow because something pops up on the Internet or because you win the voice or because whatever that is, you know, and they're all as legitimate and illegitimate as what came before, I guess. But, um, (laughs) uh, but, But the idea that you don't have to work for something, the idea that you can just pop onto broadway and and not have craft or skill uh, that to me is i guess you know that's not a good thing and it's a a little offensive because most of us who work and play here mm-hmm. you know we, we uh, this is what we wanted to do and we right. did we did train for it or we do have respect for it and it doesn't mean you have look some people are natural blah 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 but as long as you have respect for it mm-hmm. as long as you know if you are doing this you better understand what the responsibility is that you carry with you every night mm. because it's getting harder than ever to get butts in the seats. So mm-hmm. the only way to keep them there is to really to affect them, to yeah. tell the story, to make them want yeah. to come see more live theater. And if they see an actor on stage who's not you know, pulling their weight, or, and it's not even something maybe they even are aware of, but believe me, you know that comes through. An audience knows if that cast is dozy an audience mm-hmm. knows when you 're walking through it when you 're going through the motions you can f- uh, you can feel it 's an exchange of energy and believe me, they give you what you give them in that way
1: <laughs> that 's good advice for Everyone out there. Yeah, I mean, Everyone yes, out I do. There. I think
0: if you want to do this, of course, it's very important.
1: Um, you, it, it is no secret that you are a fan of musical theater. Oh, nice. um, and uh, we'd like to just get your opinions on some underappreciated <laughs> shows. Because one of the things that we like to do is introduce our students to shows that they might not be right. as familiar with. Right. So I have to ask you, off the top of your head, can you think of any scores that are so wonderful but just not as well known as they should be that that students could possibly take a listen to.
0: Well, we mentioned Grass Harp, right? Yeah. Which I think is, yes, is great. Um Oh gosh. I mean, there are a lot of scores that I that I like a lot. I don't necessarily uh, I wouldn't say, oh, because I think you could work on that song or whatever, but I'm, uh, but uh, you know, I always I have this affinity for Larry poor Larry Grossman. Oh yes, Larry totally. Grossman, yes, who wrote so many great scores to bomb shows, the man never had a real hit show, did no. he? I mean, no. Snoopy, the off-Broadway Snoopy, no. sort of has Ish. a life, yeah. but... Certainly
2: not Doll's you know, life, and certainly grind, not yeah. right? Minnie's we'll bo- right? Yeah, Minnie's Boys, Good Time
0: Charlie, yes, Grind, Doll's life, and I think there's well, that Paper Moon that never came in. Oh, yeah. Paper Moon, yeah. which is lovely, yeah. But I think we're missing another Broadway one, too. But anyway, right. yeah. anyway uh, I think all of those scores have fabulous stuff in them. I'm a bit. I saw Grind try out in Baltimore, and it was such a mess. I had no idea what was going on by Act Two. I've never been so confused in my life, uh, but. Uh, uh, and and they cleaned it up a little. I did see it in New York as well, and they cleaned it up a bit. But and it was a fabulous design. Uh, but uh, couldn't appreciate that until I sat down and listened to that score. And I'd say about seventy five percent of that score is terrific. I think is terrific. Oh, it's a great you know score, story, yeah. time, place, the whole thing. Yeah, um, as well as you know a lot of dolls' life and and yeah. good Time Charlie and even Minnie's Boys. <laughs> oh, Minnie's Boys, you, so right? I mean, you know right? I mean you know, yeah. But yeah, but as a composer, I've always felt I feel so bad for him only because I just think those are great scores. Totally. So I. Always Hope that they'll be listened to and that people will discover them in that way. Um, what? gee, what else? Well, you know, we joked about Carmelina, yes. Um, you know, uh, uh, again, a beautiful score. Burton Lane only wrote, yeah, was it three or four Broadway, yeah, not, not many, a lot of Finance Rainbow, but not, yeah. Clear Day, Ray. yeah. Um, Carmelina and Carmelina, which again, I saw try out in DC. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, I got to see a lot of. It. I mean, and that's also why Platinum, which was you know, and not many <laughs> hey, guys, people would know about say, Platinum. I, I'm <laughs> yeah. shocked because I don't know much yeah. about Platinum. You, you
1: might not know. You might know it as Sunset because they changed the title.
0: Yes, correct. It was done, originally. It was Sunset. Then it was Platinum for Broadway, and then they did it off Broadway years later with Tammy Grimes. Oh, back to the name Sunset. And there's a recording of that. Yes. There's no recording of Platinum, but there's a recording of Sunset. But it's nothing like they Platinum. No Trust me, people. It was not. I mean, I have. A delicious bootleg of platinum through the sound. I have some. Oh, am I able to talk about this? Are yes. the cops going to come yes. no, no, no. and get me? Broadway police. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yes. probably gay police. Exactly. <laughs> um, but <laughs> All yeah, know I have people a, a who great bootleg like of Platinum, which you know has a, a couple good songs and, and was what it was. You know, though, again, shows that try to capture the moment, shows that think, oh, we've got to write a hip and contemporary show, but they come at it from that angle as opposed to having an organic, mm-hmm. real sort of thought. Maybe uh, I think was part of the issue with Platinum, and it just wasn't Alexis Smith. Is Is right? right? Alexis Smith. Smith. What? Yeah. Oh, yep. yeah. Alexis Smith. Um, Bruce Valanche co-wrote the book, I believe. I always talk about it with Bruce whenever I can. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, uh, what was the guy's name who was naked in it for a second? R- Richard Hayes? Richard Hayes? Hayes? No, Hayes. Richard Hayes. Hayes. H-A-Y, Hayes. yes. Lisa Mordante, Cheetah Rivera's daughter. Oh, yeah. You bet. Um, we will. Yeah. Yeah. Will and yeah, so I saw it a couple times at DC and then it <laughs> promptly. Uh, well, you know, here's another part of my education that I was, that the little, the good fairy uh, blessed on this fairy. I'm not going to say that. Um, that's terrible. I'm, not, I'm wearing a Mets shirt, by the way. And I sang the anthem last night at City Field, which hey, is that's fabulous. Awesome. Yeah. Big Mets fan. Go, Mets. Oh, it's so tenuous right now. Anyway, what was I saying? Gay Brad, come back. Gay Brad, come back. Um, <laughs> I was like, I'm still missing Platinum. 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 Uh, You saw it a lot? Yeah. Oh, because, because. Because, because, my folks became friendly with the head usher at the Opera House at the Kennedy Center. (laughs) Yeah. Because (laughs) of a connection to the great Tony Award winning Sammy Williams, the original Paul in a chorus line, who prior to that was on tour with Seesaw in D.C. With Lucy Arnaz and Lawrence Luckinbill. Not Lawrence, that's her husband. (laughs) Lucy Arnaz and John Gavin, sorry. Uh. Uh, Anyway, they met Sammy. Through Sammy, we met Pat. The next thing I knew, God bless her, she has since left us, got walked into the saw Platinum, like, three times because I didn't pay. Oh. Saw Home Sweet Homer, The Yule Brenner, The Odyssey. <gasps> Home which, Sweet yeah, Homer. Yeah, which was called The Odyssey when it was in D.C. Um, saw, uh, oh, my God. Anyway, Carmelina. Uh, so many things I got to see, which is why I saw, also saw Sweeney Todd once a week for five weeks. You know, There was no way we could have afforded that. Right. My God. God, And Good Bring connection. Back Birdie? Bring Back Birdie I saw here because that didn't try. Bring Back Birdie I saw in the mezzanine of the Martin Beck Yes, but my folks did know Michael Stewart as well. Strangely enough. Oh my (laughs) gosh! They met Michael Stewart uh, in D.C. uh, when when um, I think it was the tryout of Dolly. Yes, I think it was the Dolly tryout, which is when I was conceived, believe it or not. And Uh then, and then listen to this. It was painted in the stars. And then listen to this. I'm born, and it happens to be coming right up around the corner on the night that Fiddler on the Roof opened on Broadway, September twenty second, nineteen sixty four. So how about that? Isn't that crazy? Yeah, hilarious. So yeah, but my folks again. This is the way my folks had this connection to the world. You know, they they uh, they knew Michael casually. Again, I think it was mutual friends. I'm not exactly sure, but um, and I'll never forget a postcard from Michael Stewart arrived in our mailbox in 1970. What is this? Probably 78 hey, hope all is well, in Detroit, trying to make Grand Tour the show it should be. All the best, Michael, or whatever. But he wrote he was in Detroit with Grand Tour, which, of course, sadly, obviously not Was didn't. not, did not, yes. But, um, wow. uh, yeah, but, you know, stuff like that. So, yeah, these, you know, those random connections. Anyway, that was how I remember seeing uh, Bring Back Birdie that way, because I was up in the city. We got in touch with Michael. He arranged a ticket, whatever. Um so yeah, so I saw Bring Back Birdie, which, you know, again, not a an interesting score because you can see how they're trying to write... By Birdie, part two. Yeah. Right. So there are so many songs that are the exact, like, here's the telephone hour for Bring Back Birdie. <laughs> Parallel. Here's, yes. here's oh. Put On a Happy Face in Bring Back Birdie. And here's, you know, which I find fascinating. Desert number? And again, you know, Charles Strauss, you know, a guy who never wrote, you know, a bad score, but again, yeah. plenty of, you know, a, 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 again, of bombs, of stuff that just didn't. I mean, you just realize how hard it is. Oh, my God. Oh, it's the ups and downs you know, of my the business. my God. Yeah. And he's yeah. still going. Yeah. 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 I saw yeah. him a couple of nights ago. Oh, the trolley Yeah, yeah he said, that's I'm working great. on this. I'm working that's on that. That's great.
1: Like 90 years old. Good for it's you. Great. Yeah. yeah Good I want to be you. like that when I'm 90. Kanahara, exactly. Right? Please. You bet. Um, this was yeah.
0: wonderful. So it's truly great. a pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thank please. You. I had a blast. Thank you so much. What's next for you My I- pleasure. Um, well, at this point, I don't know. I'm going to play out our run, which sadly is ending January yeah. 1st. Yeah. Um, but it's been, you know, it's been great. And I've loved, you know, again, I really have I've loved every minute of it. So yeah, so we'll see, you know? I mean, I'll start, obviously, now that I know that's happening. Right, uh, you can explore. Yeah, I'll start to explore and then see what's going on. But um, we'll see. And a little downtime doesn't suck either, in a way. No. You know, it's funny. We live vacation. our lives. The older I get, and the, the more I figure, I think this is probably going to work out. as a career, then I sort of feel like, okay, you don't have to have that next job lined up. You know, there are times... And believe me, ask my husband, give me a couple weeks with nothing on the horizon, and I'll start to get antsy and think like, oh my God, what if I don't get another job? What if my insurance runs out? I mean, you know, that's the world we live in, guys. And anybody who... You know, people say, oh, you know, when I got a Tony nomination, when I got my second Tony nomination, oh, man, you're set, you're set. I'm like, there is no set. We are not set. Believe me, in this business, we are never set. So I never take anything for granted, and I'll uh, just hopefully keep rolling along. (laughs) 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 Rolling (laughs) along. along. Thank you, guys. I love what you do. Keep up the good fight. (laughs)